Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast where we dig into God's Word together and find life through Jesus Christ. My name is Ben Blakey. It's Monday, the 23rd of November, 2020. Let me start off this new week by talking to the husbands by way of illustration. Husbands, do you remember the way you felt when you first fell in love with your spouse? Do you remember what that was like? Now, imagine somebody coming to you today and saying, do you ever wonder if you've lost that first love with your spouse? And you start saying, well, you know, we we still go on date nights on a somewhat regular basis. You know, I, I, I haven't been unfaithful to my wife. And uh, I'm I'm on top of the, you know the honeydew list around the house pretty good, so yeah. Hmm, is that answer really gonna cut it? Is not being unfaithful and doing dates every once in a while and you know doing some things around the house? Is that the way you felt when you were first falling in love with your spouse? No, it doesn't quite have that same feeling. It can be possible to be doing the right things and believing the right things, but for it to lack the, the, the passion and the excitement that it had at the beginning. Now, this isn't a podcast about marriage today, but it's a podcast about losing your first love because that is what we're going to see in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Now, this section starts a section of seven letters to different churches that were in what would now be the country of Turkey. Uh, And so Jesus tells John to write to these churches. And some interpret these in different ways. I think these are simply to be understood as real letters to real churches with real problems. And first we see the church at Ephesus, uh, the church that would have received the letter of Ephesians. And we see God... He starts this letter by saying that he knows their works, uh, that their patient endurance. He knows that they can't bear with those who are evil, but have tested themselves, apostles and are not, and found them to be false. So he commends them for a lot of different things, right? They're believing the right things because they're rejecting false teachers. They're doing some of the right things because they're patiently enduring and all these uh, different things. But verse four, he says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And so, We see there that it is possible for a church to have the right doctrine and to be doing a lot of the right things, yet still to be rebuked by our Lord Jesus. And they are rebuked for lacking the love that they had at first. So when we want to examine that question, do I love Jesus with the way I loved him at first? It's not as simple as, well, there's no big sin in my life. It's not as simple as, well, I, I'm, I haven't been reading any heretical books. 
No, there's a, a certain passion and even a certain feeling that he is calling to be there. That they've lost the love, abandoned the love that they have had at first. And so I want you to examine your own heart today and to be real with yourself. And just like the husband can't just minimize that love with his wife to, well, I'm, you know, going on dates and doing the honeydews. We can't just, well, you know, I've, I've been reading my Bible and I'm still going to church. You know, do you have the love that you had for Christ at the beginning? I want you to spend time really praying and thinking about that today. And what do we do if we feel that the answer maybe is no? Uh, Maybe I feel like I've lost some of that first love. Well, Jesus gives us a pattern to follow there in verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. So it really begins with remembering. What did that first love with Christ look like? Do those things again. So it's not just, well, summon up some feeling or pray that your feelings change, but it it is a call to action. And I think even if you use that illustration of a husband, right? It was more than just dates. It was more than just doing the honeydews when you were first in love with your spouse. I mean, there was an eagerness. There was probably a desire to talk, a desire to spend time with that person, right? All of these different things. What was it like with Jesus? What were those desires? And go back and do those things. Maybe it was you were spending more time in the word. Maybe it was you were spending more time just alone with God in prayer. Maybe it's you were just quicker to pray back in those days, or you were more faithful to memorize scripture or more eager to serve in ministry, whatever it may be. What were those things? And may today be a call, man, I want to go back to those things. That should be the cry of our hearts as Christians. That should be a concern that we have for our churches, that we wouldn't just become places that, okay, sure, that there's no major heresy. There's no, you know, secret unconfessed sin. That's not the goal. The goal is that we would be in love with Christ and even hopefully more so than we were at first. And so I hope today is is maybe a shocking wake-up call that, that we might be lulling ourselves to sleep just with, well, you know, hey, I'm, I'm doing the basic things. And may it encourage us to pursue that love for Christ and even not just our, the love that we had at first, but may we pursue having the greatest love for Christ that we've ever had in our lives. And it's good to be reminded of who Christ is and how lovely he is. One way I think we see that is through the promises that he gives to these churches. To every church here in these seven letters, he gives a promise. And to this one, to Ephesians, he says, To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And then the next letter is to the church at Smyrna. And there is no rebuke there. It seems that that church is uh, undergoing some some hardship, some persecution, some tribulation, and it's encouragement that they will be, that they should be faithful. And he says, even be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And the promise there is to the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. 
These are the promises that our Savior has made. The tree of life, not to be harmed by the second death. The crown of life. These are the promises being held out by the one with eyes like a flame of fire and a face shining like the sun in its full strength. May we look to him in love today. And also as we consider who Jesus is and what he has done, another great passage in John chapter 11. Today we look at verses 17 through 27. So now Jesus is arriving to uh, the home of Lazarus. And now Lazarus is dead and he's been in the tomb for four days. And uh, we come back to these characters of Mary and Martha who we remember from the gospel of Luke and Mary Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet while Martha was hustle and bustle all around. Well, now Martha comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says that your brother will rise again. And Martha has some confidence that there's going to be a resurrection at the last day that Lazarus will partake in. But then Jesus says these amazing words in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Right? What an amazing truth for us to remember, even in a year where mortality has probably been more on our minds than normal. And we're looking at mortality rates of diseases and considering this, and there's numbers of deaths in the headlines Every day, as if people were unaware that 8,000 Americans were already dying every single day. We've just been more aware of that mortality and the reality that people are dying around us. But in the midst of all that, Jesus' claim is still true. He is the resurrection and the life. And those that believe in him can have hope for eternity. And if you believe in Jesus... You can trust that even if you die, you will live. We will live forever with him. We will partake of that tree of life. We will not be hurt by the second death. This is what our Savior is promising. And guess what? It can be found nowhere else. Only in Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing. Isn't that Savior worth our love and our affection. I hope our hearts are stirred up to love him this week. Next, let's look at Psalm 133 today, a short psalm. Psalm 133. It says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collars of his robes, right? Maybe that's not an image that's easy for us to uh, relate to, this precious oil, but we can relate to how good it is when people dwell together in unity. And hopefully these feasts that they would be ascending up to Jerusalem to celebrate would be those moments where the people of God back then, the, the nation of Israel would gather and worship God together, right? I think it'd be good for us to think about that as well in our context, right? And I think for most of us, that context that should come to mind is the local church. How good and pleasant it is when a church gathers in unity to worship the Lord. I think one, unfortunately, many of us have experienced the opposite of that, of how painful it can be when there is disunity within a local church body. Ouch, that can be frustrating. That can be hard. And so we should turn Psalm 133, I think, 
into a prayer for our own churches today, that we would experience that joy and that unity that should come, that should be found among God's people. And for us to check ourselves and saying, am I being a contributing factor to unity amongst the people of God? Or am I being a contributing factor to, of disunity? Uh, well, the goal should be this joy that we see here in this short, brief uh, little psalm. Finally today, we want to look again at the book of Ezekiel, chapters 30 through 32. And we see here really one of the longest sections, and if we include chapter 29 from uh, Saturday, if we think about this passage, it's one of the longest sections of scripture that we get that's really focused on a nation outside of Israel. Uh, Really focused, I guess at least in in the major prophets, we have some whole minor prophets like Jonah that are focused outside of the nation of Israel. But here we get four chapters focused on the kingdom of Egypt, prophesying judgment against the kingdom of Egypt. And one thing I want you to notice from the reading today, again, is one of the things that he rebukes Egypt for is its pride and even calling out Pharaoh for his pride. And that should, I think, again, set us back, even as we looked at recently this lamentation about the king of Tyre and the pride and how we think ultimately that's pointing to the pride of Satan, um, We should be warned about the sin of pride in our own lives, that we should not feel proud about ourselves. Even we should be careful about getting too proud about our nation, realizing the sin of our own nation. And may this generate in us a humility, a humility that really looks to God for grace, a humility that really drives us to Christ to remind us that we absolutely need him. Were it not for the grace of Jesus Christ, we would be in a big load of trouble. And and so may that cause us to humbly look to Christ today. And may that even reignite the fires of our first love with him. And may we remember and be challenged by that and look to Christ with a fresh fervor, excitement, passion, and love this new week. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.